Brilliant. So if, if you've got your Bible, um, why don't you just turn with me? I'm going to start in uh, Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16, and I'm going to jump from there to Psalm 2, and I'm going to read the whole of Psalm 2, and that's going to be where we are this morning. So starting in Revelation 19, 11 to 16, and then on to Psalm 2. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dripped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses." From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision, mockery. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. And terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. O rulers, be warned of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. It's great to be with you this morning. As Dan said, we've come from uh, Freedom Church in the north of Hull. We've been meeting in person now for, for a few months, and we've, we launched this uh, initially online in February. Um, it's been, we've been really encouraged uh, by the journey. There's obviously some challenges as well, just in terms of starting anything new. Um, but we really believe that what we're doing in North Hull, um, together, both as Freedom Church, those who have been sent, and you here at Jubilee who are sending, um, is going to be... Uh, a sort of uh, something that, is, that we replicate again and again and again, as Dan said. We believe that as churches, we are called to the nations, to see many churches planted. That's what we want. That's what we long for. That's our heart as we gather together, as we, as we come together in this mission. We, we believe that God has called us to himself, into his grace, into his uh, kingdom, and called us to the nations. And so it's great to be here together and, and to be showing something of our, our, our togetherness in this series that we're taking on this he is looking at the character of God now as Dan and I first uh, 
came together and were first chatting about what we wanted to, this series to be, um, one of the things that was really on, on both of our hearts was just that, that we would have our eyes lifted to see God as who he is. I think so often our bias is so self-centered. Um, just in the West, that's true. I mean, you only have to scroll through Facebook for, for a few minutes and you see that people think about themselves a lot. And that our whole lives is just cat- about catering to my comfort and myself. And it's very easy for our faith to take that same shape as well. It's very, very easy for our Christian walk to become about, well, what, what is God doing for me? And you, you can sometimes hear it in, in some um, sermons, in some songs. It's really it's just about us. And, and what um, I, I want this series to be for us as churches is, is that we have our eyes wrenched away from ourselves and that we find ourselves transfixed and transformed as we see the glory of God in, in his attributes. And so as we've come through, we've seen God is creator, he's holy, he is good, and we're going to be looking and ex- continuing to explore these things. This isn't always a comfortable process. I'll tell you that now. If you've not come across that already, it's not always a comfortable process. As you see God as holy, you will be confronted with your sinfulness. As you see him as creator, you'll be confronted by your smallness. You'll find yourself feeling, actually, this story isn't about me. It's about him. And so it's not always comfortable. As we come and we see God for who he is, there are going to be times where There are moments, the things that we thought were precious to us get jostled out of position to make way for the King of Kings. Right? (laughs) That might already have been happening. I hope it has. This morning as we we see God as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I believe there are going to be things that we've held on to, that we've not let him... It was interesting, we were singing a song, you know, all that I am forever, I I want to be yours. How... How often that isn't true of my own heart. As I was singing it, I was confronted by that. As we see God as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, our own little kingdoms are going to come crashing down. I believe that this morning. I believe that. Things that we've been scared to lay at his feet, scared to put in his hands, because what is he going to do with them if we do? Our finances. What's he going to do with my money if I, if I say my bank account's yours? Well, God is Lord, and his rule is absolute. The Bible makes it very clear. God will not be king of your Sunday mornings only. He will not be king of one portion of your life only. No, he, he is totally king of all things, reigning sovereignly over all things. The Bible tells us in another psalm that he is, uh, God is in heaven, seated in heaven, and he does all that he pleases. There's nothing that's going to confront him, nothing that's going to hinder him. There's nothing that's going to get in the way of his rule. And so when we approach uh, God as king, either we will uh, find ourselves caught up gloriously in his kingdom or we will be confronted by it and bent by it as we find ourselves uh, uh, forcefully brought to our knees in the face of God who is king of kings. In Psalm 2 that we've just read, we see something of, of this happening. These, these kings, these rulers of earth, uh, they gather together and these, these nations, they rage. That word rage um, is like a, it's a noisy clamor. These, they're, they're kind of big noise. They're making a, a big fuss of this. And then they say the kings, they plot. And that word plot is like murmurings and mutterings. And these things against God. 
They say to themselves, we want to we wanna rebel against the rightful king. We don't want to be bound to his chains anymore. We don't want to submit to his rule anymore. They reject his rule and they desire to rule in his place. Then we get, we get a, a picture as we read this psalm in those first couple of verses of what unbelief actually is. Unbelief is not intellectualism. It's not a moral complaint against what the Bible says. Unbelief is the slipping mask of rebellion, right? You know, some people put forward, this is why I don't believe, and, they, they, and they'll put forward a, a, an intellectual reason. And you only have to explore that for a little bit to find out that that's, that's not really the reason. The reason they, they reject God isn't because they've got questions, although I'm not saying that there aren't good questions that need good answers. The reason behind the rejection of God is I don't want to submit to him. I don't want him to be the ruler of my life. I want to be the ruler of my own life. And this is what's happening here in this psalm. I've seen it. I've seen that happen so many times. The underlying issue is always the rejection of the rule of God. It's a rebellion. It's a rebellion against the true king. We want something else to be true. We want something else to be true. We think that if, I, if we could just do away with God, somehow I could get something better for myself. What's God's response to this? All the kings in their glory, so-called, and their, uh, their power and their majesty arrayed against him. Together we will conspire against God. What does God do? He laughs. <laughs> he laughs. It's laughable. Laughable. He says, he's he who's seated in heaven. He doesn't even stand, right? He's unmoved, totally unshaken, as we sing there, unshaken by the schemes of man. He is entirely unmoved. He remains seated. He's praying for the persecuted church. God is not worried about uh, what that was going to do for, the pl- for his plans for the earth. No, he rules entirely. In, uh, in, uh, it's come up earlier in our series as, we, as we've been going through that in Isaiah uh, 40. This picture of God seated above the earth, the circles of the earth, and he looks down and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Oh no, says God, the grasshoppers are revolting. They're rebelling. He's not shaken by this. He's not shaken by this. In fact, he laughs. He laughs at them. He's not shaken when Dawkins releases a new book or when uh, the nations decide we're going to persecute the church in in an attempt to stop the advance of the gospel. He is not shaken. He's king. He remains king. And then his laughter turns to speech. His laughter turns to speech. And we get this parallel between the voice of the Lord that speaks against these rebellious rulers and the murmurs and the clamor of the rulers themselves. They're murmuring, muttering to themselves, making a noise, and then the Lord speaks. You know, the voice of the Lord, in his his speech, he terrifies them, it says here. The voice of the Lord is in... uh, in many places in the Bible, it was referred to in a, a lot of scary ways. In Job, it's referred to as, as thunder, coming like thunder. In Ezekiel and Revelation, it's referred to as the sound of many rushing waters. Um, Jen and I are new parents um, to Hudson, uh, 11 weeks old today. Um, he sometimes needs help getting to sleep, as you might imagine. Um, one of the things that we do is we will play a recording of 
uh, shower. Sometimes he's not fooled by that and we need to turn on the real shower. And so uh, he, there's something about us having to pay for the water that he clearly likes. Um, but, but it helps him, it soothes him. There's something about the white noise that that creates. God's voice is not like that. <laughs> it's the sound of many rushing waters. I've stood on the edge of Niagara Falls and felt the, the deafening roar of these, this, this water as thousands of tons of water pour over this thing every minute. It's scary to think this would directed against me would terrify me. That's, that's what's happening here. In the, at Psalm 29, it says this, The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, these great trees in Lebanon, breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord flashes forth like a fire, like flames of a fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness like an earthquake. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And all in his temple cry, glory, (laughs) glory. This is the voice of the Lord that now leveled against these rebellious rulers, leveled against those who would, who would try to take his place as king. And it terrifies them, rightfully so, rightfully so. Suddenly the, the wrath of God is being spoken against them in this, in this powerful, authoritative way. This is an authority that they've never seen before, and they've never come across before. It's one of the things that's said about Jesus when he's there. Like, no one ever spoke like this man, with authority like this man. This is the voice of the Lord. They're terrified by their power and the authority in the voice, but they're also terrified by what the voice is saying. They are terrified by what the voice is saying. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Those things that you plan to overturn, those plans that you plan to frustrate of mine, they've already been done. It is a done deal. It doesn't matter how many uh, books you release (laughs) that speak against me or how many uh, of my people you you kill in persecution. My work has been achieved. It is a done deal. I am Lord. They are terrified. I tell you, the gospel, gospel just meaning good news, it is not good news to those who remain in rebellion. Right? The gospel we preach is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord is good news to those who have received him as Lord. Because unless he's your Lord, he's not your savior. To the rebels, the coming of the the victorious king, those who remain in rebellion, it is not good news. It comes scary, scary. And And these guys are terrified by this. The rebellion is very short lived and the true king is established. That parallel, the kings set themselves, and the Lord says, I, I have set. Oh, the kings, they set themselves up, and the Lord says, I have set my ruler. I have set my ruler, and he will reign forever. Uh, in the book of Daniel, um, kind of exp- uh, we see in the Old Testament these stories of these, these guys taken into exile. The, the kingdoms of Israel and Judah have been um, uh, rebellious against God and God has punished them by sending them into exile. They've been conquered and these guys, these, uh, they're taken into exile and then the, the, the book of Daniel is sort of exploring what does it mean to belong to a kingdom um, that's not of this world? Which is to say that I, that I still belong to the promises of the, of the kingdom that God has, has given us but now I also belong in an, a worldly sense to this foreign kingdom. And I'm exploring that process. In, in Daniel, there's a story in Daniel 2 um, 
uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he wants it an interpretation. And he refuses to give uh, the, the details of the dream away because he wants a true interpretation. He doesn't want people to make one up from the details of the dream. So he says, what you've got to do is you've got to tell me my dream and you've got to tell me my, the interpretation of the dream. And no one can do it. No one can do it. And so he gets so angry, he says, right, I'm going to kill all the wise men in the... He's not a mild-mannered man. He's going to kill all the wise men in the nation because no one can be found who can give him an interpretation for his dream. Daniel, one of the wise men who would be lined up to be killed, comes before the Lord and says, Lord, give me, give me insight into this. And in the night he does, he receives the same vision and he gets the interpretation. He goes to the king he says, this is what you dreamed. He tells him, you know, you saw a statue, like a, an image of man, and it had a head of gold and a, a chest and arms of silver, a, a middle of bronze, a legs of iron and feet of clay. And he says, and, each, and, and then what happened was a rock, a great rock, not cut by any man, came and crushed this statue. And then that rock became a mountain that endured forever. And he says, and this is the interpretation. Each one of those parts of that statue refer to a different kingdom. One's going to take over the other. It's just the natural, you read a bit of history, this is just what happens. One kingdom comes, another kingdom comes. Sometimes we think, you know, Britain's going to last forever. It's not. (laughs) One kingdom comes, another one comes, another one comes. God says, in the middle of that process, my kingdom will break in and it will not be like a kingdom like any other. It'll be a kingdom not carved in the image of man or carved by man. It will be a kingdom totally from me and it will endure forever. Daniel kind of later exploring these things in Daniel 7. He's, he's, he's praying through these things and exploring these mysteries more. He says, he's, and, then, and then he has this other vision. He says, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples, nations and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting domain which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus, as he's going about preaching the kingdom of God from town to town, he, he um, refers to these two pictures. He keeps referring to himself, doesn't he, as the son of man. Like, come on, join the dots. This is me. I'm, I'm the one preaching the kingdom, bringing the kingdom. I'm the one who's going to come and I'm going to be presented to the ancient of days. That's Daniel's way of phrasing, talking about God the Father. I'm going to come to him. I'm going to be presented to him in my sacrifice on the cross. And I'm going to come to him blameless, spotless. And I'm going to be given all authority. That's what he says after his resurrection to the disciples. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore go. That's what's, that's what's happening Jesus, he also refers to himself as, I am the rock. I'm the, he says, I'm the rock. Anybody who doesn't build their life on me will be crushed by me, along with all the kingdoms of the earth. Either I will be your king and your savior and your, and your firm foundation, or you'll find yourself crushed under the weight of me. He is the son of man who comes and takes this authority, takes this kingdom. And he is the rock. He comes in this psalm with an iron rod. Again, that comes out in the the passage in Revelation that we read. That that picture of the wrath and the power of the rule of God. We see in um, uh, elsewhere in in the prophets, it talks about uh, that God's anger burning against his rebellious people and he's going to smash, he's going to come with a a firm-handed rule that means that 
not one sherd of pottery would be found. Nothing big enough to scoop up a little bit of ash from the fire or a bit of water from uh, uh, the cistern. It will, it will all be dust before him. This is the power and the retribution of God that burns against the rebels. But a way is offered to the rebels to enter into the kingdom of God. A way is offered to, to be saved from the wrath of God, the rightful wrath of the right God, the right king who comes in judgment. He says, be wise, O rulers, be warned. He says, submit to the true king. Submit to the true king. In fear, lay down your arms. That's the gospel. The gospel comes and says, submit to your true king. Lay down your arms of rebellion and you will enter blessing. That's how the psalm ends. It seems a strange way for it to end when it's, it's all about the wrath of God coming. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Where are you going to hide from the wrath of God? Where are you going to hide? You've been found that you've been a rebel living against the king of kings who comes now in wrath to take what was rightfully his, his kingdom. Where are you going to hide? Psalmist says, take refuge in him. Now, I'm sure the psalmist doesn't have a full picture of what that means as he's writing it. But we, as we look through the New Testament, we see that actually we hide our life in Christ. And those who take faith in him, who belong to him, who give themselves to him, hide themselves in him and take refuge in him. Where am I going to hide from the wrath of God? This, this rider in white who comes with a, a sword to, to conquer the nations and a rod to rule them. Where am I going to hide? In him. In him. I'm going to hide. Drenched in his blood. And that's going to be how I survive. Wonderful. And, and not only survive, but enter blessing. To enter blessing. To submit to the rightful ruler is not just to escape judgment, but to enter blessing. So that the Lord says on that last day, he will say to us who have given ourselves to him, come, enter the joy of your master. Not as defeated enemies, not as conquered citizens, but as co-heirs with him blessed by his rule the reason it's unwise to rebel against God is because what are you going to earn for yourself that's better than that taste and see we're told taste and see it's interesting though that there is a, there is a fear that remains you see this um, verse 11 and uh, yeah verse 11 serve the Lord with fear rejoice with trembling it's interesting, right? There's, the song Amazing Grace has a, has a verse in it that goes, you know, it was, it was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Now, it's true. Grace uh, brings us to God in fear and then relieves that fear. But it's also true that not all gr the fear that grace teaches us is relieved by grace, Right? There is some fear that remains rightfully and that grace continues to instruct us in. There is a kind of fear that God in his grace continues to instruct us in. What kind of fear is that? The fear that is removed is, the, is, that, is that fear of destruction. The fear of, of suddenly I'm under condemnation. You know, woe is me for I've seen a holy God and I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. I'm going to die here because I've seen the living God. No, grace relieves that fear 
And it comes with security to say, no longer do I condemn you. The fear that remains, though, is the fear that comes from rightfully seeing God as who he is. The ruling king. The king of kings. Lord of lords. Who reigns. If you meet with one whose voice is like thunder and the sounds of rushing waters that strips forests bare and brings earthquakes and you're not scared, it's because you've not seen him for who he is. Grace continues to open our eyes to the power and the majesty of God. And it's wonderful. And there's this weird thing of rejoice with trembling. How, how does joy and fear, how did joy and fear get held together? Well, one, if fear is the thing that brings us to God in the first place, then there's a reason to rejoice, right? Fear is one of the means by which God shows us who he is and brings us into salvation. Then that is a good thing. But secondly, the, the, the fear of the Lord that, can, that, that continues to work in us to bring transformation and, and that we reject sin and continue to live in his kingdom, again, that comes with a joy, um, is that, that kind of, it comes out in uh, Philippians, doesn't it? You know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Kind of, as you see the glory of God, there is something of, of I'm living in and enjoying the, the things that God has for me in fear. In fear because of who he is. Amazingly, uh, Daniel, as he comes to King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, one of the phrases he says just before he brings the interpretation is this. He says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. One of the great mysteries revealed in the New Testament is, uh, is this. Um, in Ephesians um, chapter 3. I'll just read it to you. I think it will come up on the screen. Um, Ephesians chapter 3. Um, uh, and I'll read... Um, 1 to 13. For this reason, Paul, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, on your behalf, you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of, great, of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is, what? That the Gentiles, the nations, are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Jesus Christ through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the nations the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery of God hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold, not hidden anymore but displayed, manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities. Sounds familiar. In heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized, actualized, finalized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So don't lose heart over what's happening to me. Don't lose heart over that. Don't lose heart over what's happening to me as I'm in prison because this is what God is working out. This is the mystery that has been revealed that Nebuchadnezzar saw a glimpse of, that Daniel saw a glimpse of. This mystery is that not only do you come in as, as blessed citizens, but you are now co-heirs, 
Jesus says in Revelation 2, to the one who conquers, who endures to the end in the faith, I will give you, to him, uh, sorry, I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as the, with, when earthen pots are broken to pieces. Again, sounds familiar. Even as I myself have received authority from my father. We are called now to walk in um, the same promises that Jesus has received. Ask me for the nations and I will give them to you, says the Lord. He says, Jesus says, this is true of you. And we, we long for the day where, where God will complete his work and we will see his kingdom fully on earth. But we walk now, even as we're talking about church planting, we walk now in these promises, calling the nations to repent, calling the nations to enter into this kingdom and submit to their true king. As we take the gospel to the ends of the earth, as we see many churches planted from us, that's what we're doing. Ask me for the nations. The Lord said to me, Ask me for North Hall and I'll give it to you. That's what we've done. <laughs> Lord, give us North Hall. Lord, give us Beverly. Give us Cottingham. Give us um, all of uh, Yorkshire and the nations. Lord, I pray, give it to us. And we walk in that command and in that promise. We're going to finish there, but, but I wonder if you just stand with me. We're going we're gonna to pray. Yes, Lord. Yeah, Father, we are. We're so grateful that you have had such mercy on us, even whilst we were enemies of, of God. When your wrath was burning against us, that, even that moment you made the decision to come and die for us, to take on uh, the punishment that was due for us. And God, I, I pray right now that, that you would seal that again to our hearts. That if there is anybody here listening to this who, who hadn't yet received that, who hadn't let, yet laid down their rebellious weapons and submitted themselves to the true king, Lord, that, that, would, that, would, that that truth would come and meet them where they are right now. Lord, I pray that you would continue to stir us um, to submit. Father, even the, when there are things, and, and, and Dan talks about money and finance and, and giving, Lord, I pray that there would be a laying down of anything that we would have tried to hold away from you. No, you can rule everything, but you can't rule this. Lord, I pray that it would not be so here, not in our hearts. God, I thank you that you have called us, even as you rule the nations. Now, in this mystery revealed, you call us to, to take the nations with the gospel and the good news. And Father, I thank you that, that not persecution, as we've prayed against this morning, nor anything else will prevent your gospel from advancing. Lord God, we ask this all in your name and we thank you. Lord Jesus, amen.